It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. It's not a perfect world as it stands. I could not vote in favor of this. If Randy Ambrosio were to bring this to me, I would say fire the uh, schedule maker on this one, Don. Well, I'm not getting paid for this, so I don't think I have to worry about losing any money. <laughs> well, if you came down to Regina and you talked to Randy, you could get paid for this if you come up with a good solution to actually balance it. Third Down Gamble. Okay, and as a result of that whole debate in our online poll, I have grounds to sue my co-host here for wrongful dismissal. Get ready, buddy. I, I don't think you can sue because, I mean, the evidence is very clear on our Twitter feed that, uh, you know, you did not win an overwhelming majority, so it's uh, not good enough. Well, we'll see what the judge decides. But anyway, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll dive into this week's topic matter, which is going to be interesting because we've got a lot to talk about. We sure do. Let's go. First off, of course, everyone knows my feelings about the pick'em side of this whole playoff thing, and Ambrosi admitted in Winnipeg that it's... I, I, I don't think you've been clear enough, Don. Could you... Could you... <laughs> it's over. He's, he's admitted that this one is kind of dying a quick and miserable death. You know, I'm kind of editing his comment, but anyway. The only thing... The only thing that I would say is, um, you know, potentially this is something we talked about it in one of our earlier episodes. It could be that the league is actually going to slow down and explore this rather than have it, um, you know, where, where someone in leadership spews something out and we're stuck with it. They'll take it away. They'll take a look at it. We're continuing on with the nine-team league. There's some possibilities, but certainly I think it's going to be more looking at a 10-team league and how will you work the playoffs there. I don't know if the playoffs as a whole are really... Um, being shelved in terms of the ideas that they're coming back with. And maybe the wild card scenario is still going to be in. That's going to be confronted on March 17th, and we'll see what goes from that meeting. In the interim, at least the worst of it is dead. I'm still not in favor of it. I think if you're having divisions, make them matter, and that's my yeah. You know, there's there's other news this week, too. Uh, new CFLPA president, Solomon Elamimian. He is now uh, the president, which I think is, is good for the CFLPA. Yeah, I like the choice. I thought he had some great competition for the position. Mm -hmm. Not a bad choice. I can't argue with it. I think he's a very uh, intelligent individual, and he's kind of a big-picture guy. I've always liked that about him. And so I think he's going to do well for the CFLPA. I, I don't disagree. I think he's going to be good for the Players Association. I mean, the players are really the CFL. So it's good that they have someone strong in that position who's going to be able to represent them and bring forward their needs. They're what makes the CFL go. Of course, they're still in the news with the whole TJ Jones signing. Um, mm -hmm. It's still up in the air, and it's kind of a, a real kind of tough one to, to assess in a sense because – it's kind of a piece of the language in the CBA that just isn't addressing the issue. You know, he's going to, if he signs at this point, have to have minimum wage of 65000 K, I I believe it is. Given his NFL experience, how does that not count as experience? He's not going to be considered as a rookie, so he's in this real funny little place. It, it is. I mean, the irony is if he plays as a CFL rookie, so he's getting a rookie contract, but he's not eligible for the CFL Top Rookie Award because... 
I believe the wording is if he dressed for a member club of the NFL for a regular season, postseason, or championship game in the current season or any season prior, he cannot qualify for that. So it's it's funny. On the one hand, he's a rookie. On the other hand, no, you're not. A bit ironic. This is the sort of one of the nuances of negotiation. You don't countenance every possible scenario when you're sitting at the bargaining table. And here's one that came up that kind of surprised everybody and went, oh, we really don't have a clause dealing with this specifically, except the CFL says, well, we kind of do because he falls in this category and the CFLPA says, well, that's not really right, is it? And here we go. It, it will be interesting to see how it settles. My understanding is the CFL put a, a proposal which was rejected by the CFLPA, which then counter-proposed. We've seen the tweet by Ella Mimian, and uh, the proposal uh, purportedly was met by optimism by Toronto's managements. But uh, at this point, that was Monday. This point, Wednesday, we haven't heard anything from the CFL. The last thing that I read was from the Toronto Sun just a little while ago. And yep, it's the same sort of optimism from Brian Ramsey, who's basically saying, you know, we're making progress, but I can't tell you what's going on. And that's respecting the process as well. But he's optimistic. I think the league is too. I think there is a middle ground here that's going to make sense for everybody. The Argos want to get him in the lineup. They want to pay him 200 k If he can't get the rookie honors, then let him be a veteran player coming into this league and let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, in my opinion, I think we need good players. And if you've been in the NFL for four, six seasons like he has, um, you're going to have a set of skills that is worthy of remuneration. Absolutely. And we see that with American players all the time where CFL teams will pick up a 27 to 28 year old who's had four to five years experience. They're never classified really as a rookie either. And yet they can make good money in the CFL. So I may be wrong in stating what I said. Maybe they fall under the same purview. But anyway, it is it is one of those things in life that Hey, you know, we come to a bump in the road. Let's uh, let's get to work. Hopefully, they can come to an agreement, a memorandum of understanding, and we can see T.J. Jones with the Argos. The other thing, I guess, um, you know, big news in in Saskatchewan this last week. The commissioner was there, and he announced the 108th festival. Uh, what's going to be happening in November 2020 in Regina? The Grey Cup coming to Regina, and it's an all-in-one, which is kind of a new way of doing things with the riders proposing to have uh, Evra as a place, very involved in the whole process. And I think that makes it sort of a one-stop shopping destination for all Grey Cup festivities. Brilliant idea. You know, living just outside of Regina, that facility is outstanding. And, um, you know, we've seen them host a, a number of sporting events where it's been very successful working into the Evra's buildings. Um, agribition is huge and they're able to put a lot of people in I think it's going to be a place to be it also gives them the opportunity to highlight the fantastic stadium they have in Regina and if you haven't been to the new Mosaic Stadium absolutely amazing it, it must make it uh, difficult to be on the field. We've never been there, Don, but you know what? I'm, I've got to tell you, I am very excited about Touchdown Atlantic. I've picked up my tickets and uh, ready to go out there. Which I am so jealous of you. I, You've got a great gig to go to, and ticket sales just rocketed right out the door. I, I was shocked. I wasn't able to actually get on. A friend of mine picked them up for us, um, but uh, he, he was looking at, you know, his the best seats we could get towards 55 and he said he paused paused for about five minutes and when he went back uh it was almost gone so i mean it's it's there's not much left there um it's exciting to see it's going to be a great game great experience you've got a, a new look argonauts team 
and a Rough Riders team that wants to make it to the Grey Cup in their own uh, backyard, which they did in 2013. And so, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I think it's going to generate a lot more interest. I just want to get those schooners playing. I, I would love to see that 10th team in Halifax. That would be outstanding for the league. I think that's going to be phenomenal if they can get in there. I think this is an opportunity for the fans out in Halifax and the Maritime region to come out to the CFL, see what it's about, and hopefully the two teams put on an outstanding game. Well, if it's anything like the game that was played there last year between Montreal and Toronto, wow. <laughs> I mean, you can't get much better for excitement. You're right. You're right. It's great for the league to have those kinds of games. So fingers crossed. I'm excited about it and hope the weather holds as well. Second down. Don, I think you want to talk a little bit about booth transparency. And in the XFL 2, if we were watching it, and I'm hearing not as many people are actually watching that. I think uh, I read somewhere down about 56% for viewership. That's tremendous. But uh, they can listen in on booth review conversations. What is your thought on that? Should the CFL take a look and adopt something like that? I like the idea in the sense that, okay, we get access to something that we've never heard before. And so does it impact the decision-making that you've got an audience watching you? And that's my, my concern there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, do you go, okay, we've got a bigger audience watching and they're cheering for Hamilton tonight mm, and they can hear me talking. Oh boy. You know, I was listening to a podcast once that was talking about refs and, and the stats actually show that the refs, uh, the crowd can influence a ref in stadium. That was an interesting question you bring up. So if, you know, the referees knowing that, you know, the CFL across the league, they're going to have people watching it. It's also possible that you might have some vociferous executives or owners also listening in on what they're talking about. And uh, would that actually influence? That's interesting. The our booth reviewer is not going to be hearing anything of what's going on other than what the official is speaking to him about. The other thing, too, is that in the CFL, all the reviews are handled in Toronto. Mm-hmm. They're not game site type of situations. So you'd have to have a camera and a microphone set up in Toronto the whole time, which is, you know, for TSN isn't much of an issue, but it does kind of distance the whole process, which I think the CFL wanted in the first place. They wanted some dispassionate review Mm -hmm. because if you're influenced by the home team or the home crowd or whatever, then are you really giving an, a, a true representation of what you're seeing. That's right. And I thought I thought you brought up a great point that officials, to the best of their ability, will try not to, but they can be influenced. Oh, sure. If you're sitting in, in a, a crowd of 30,000 people cheering for one team and you have to make a difficult decision, well, it shouldn't factor in. If there's any doubt, it might factor in. Well, it, some will argue that's part of home field advantage. Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I'm just, I'm not sold on the idea because I don't know if it's merited, but... There's so much of this move towards getting audio on everything that happens, whether it's the call from the huddle or the coaches talking to the quarterbacks or whatever. You know, we're moving down this path of mm-hmm. audio for everything. And if that gives the fan a better experience, then I guess it has to be discussed and at least sort of tested maybe in preseason to see how well it works. The one thing it would do, and I know that they'll discuss the rules and what's going on as it's under review, but I think if you were listening in, it might help people to understand the rules a little bit more when they're hearing it directly from someone, if they're not getting too technical for the average fan. 
so many times it's a question of possession or a question of whether the ball touched the ground or not. Mm -hmm. And that's really not any technical avenue that they have to run down. That is completely what do you see and what does that tell you? And the other thing I know you and I have argued before is when we watch something and it seems inconclusive, there are times when the review comes back conclusively, sometimes against what we're thinking we're seeing. And that comes down to interpreter bias, and you're going to have that regardless. Mm -hmm. There is no machine out there that can do this for any league right now. And as a result, you're going to have your own human biases. Sure interpreting things and that's that's just way life is it, I mean. it is but the interesting part of that would be if you have the dialogue of what they're talking about you might get a better understanding of specifically what uh, an experienced cfl ref is looking for uh speaking of refs we lost a really good one in the last few weeks who retired we sure did it's every time that someone steps out it's an opportunity for someone new and i think that that's uh you know, it's exciting, but it is tough to lose the high-quality referees. Retiring was Kim Murphy from the uh, CFL officiating uh, world, and he was one of the better ones, I'll admit. I really liked it when he did a game. Whenever you lose someone with the experience of, uh, you know, Kim, uh, it's very difficult for Lee. He was well-respected, I think, by the players. Um, certainly, uh, for the fan watching it, the good part about that, they say when you don't notice the referee, they've done a good job. And with Kim Murphy, there were many times we never noticed he was on the field. He was always a good game manager, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And the game seemed to move right along. He never got flustered by the moment. He he was always in charge and in control. But he, he never tried to influence the game either. He let the game go where it was going, and he just made sure it stayed within the lines. Congratulations to him on his retirement. Um, you know, it, it does provide opportunities for new people, so we're interested to see who's going to come up. That might be a topic for future discussion, Don. There are a lot of moves by the CFL right now to bring up U-sport officials. You're going to get that pool bigger and bigger and bigger, and the more you have to draw from, the better the quality you should find. Third Down Gamble. Don, when the commissioner was in Regina, he did uh, also propose some changes to the Rouge. Do you want to talk a little bit about what he's talking about with this? The understanding that I have is that the commissioner heard when he was in Montreal, some people complain about the idea that a game could be won if a ball is just simply kicked through the end zone and the defending team doesn't have a chance to play it. So what he was thinking about, or maybe it was suggested to him, was that let's maybe rid the single point on those circumstances. So in other words, if you try a field goal and miss, or if you punt the ball and kick it beyond the back of the end zone, then no point is awarded. And I'm not thrilled with this because it kind of smacks against what the last 50, 60, 70 years of football has had within it. And I just don't understand why we're doing this. Well, right I think, you know, when, when we go back to some of the recent examples, Don, there's, there's been a few examples in the last couple of years. But let's go back to the last three. Um, I believe it was you and I were talking earlier about October 29th, 2010, a game in uh, uh, Toronto where Duval kicked the field goal. It went wide. The Argos tried to kick it out. And I believe it might have been Mike Bradwell. And then Duval got the ball, punted it back in, and a point was scored when Bradwell again tried to catch the ball, bobbled it, and didn't have the opportunity to kick it out before being tackled. 
Well, actually, a touchdown was awarded on the play because the Alouettes eventually pounced on the loose football in the end zone. But it's that type of kick him in, kick him, kick it in, kick it out thing that's going to be lost if you have a situation where you know if you miss the field goal, then there's no point awarded. Now the commissioner didn't go that far to say if you miss the field goal, there should be no point awarded. It just if it sails over everyone's heads and into the stands. And there are some people that are arguing, yeah, great idea, blah 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 blah, and some people saying no, bad idea, blah 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 blah. I'm on the I don't like it idea because it's smacking the tradition of the league. And the way I look at it, a team moves down the field, you know, let's say it's in the last minute, and they get to your 15-yard line, and they're down one or tied, whatever the case may be. They try a field goal, and they miss it, and it goes wide and goes 10 rows deep. Why should the defense then get a reprieve and they get, wow, hey, you know, you missed. We don't have to suffer for letting you waltz down the field and get this short attempt. That's the problem that I had with it. It kind of gives the defense an extra out. If you can't stop them on the field, well, we'll let, we'll let this new rule save your butt if they miss the field. I don't disagree. I, I'm a traditionalist as well at times, and this is one that I think is an exciting play. When a team moves all the way down the field and kicks a field goal, that single point uh, is what makes the CFL, I think, unique in the fact that you can play for that single point. We've seen it before where teams in the last couple of minutes will actually line up for a field goal to, to attempt to kick it through the end zone, uh, feeling they might have a better chance to get it through the end zone than a punt. It makes for that exciting play where the ball goes in and out. And, and to me, I haven't seen that often in my uh, CFL career, but those are really exciting moments when you're in the stadium and you're watching that type of game and you know it's got to go in and out. It's also a nuance of the Canadian game that I believe is um, unique and keeps us as the Canadian game. Well, I was at Taylor Field when Wally Buono had Paul McCallum try to punt the ball into the end zone and the Riders got it out on the final play. So was I. I remember, now this is going way back, the 1972 West Final. Jack Abenshan for the Rough Riders is trying to kick the game-winning field goal against the Bombers. Misses. The Bombers kick it out. Lancaster, Ronnie Lancaster, kicks the ball back in. Doesn't The Bombers then kick it back out, I believe, and looks like we're going to overtime. Flag on the play, mm-hmm. no yards. So... Riders get to try again because Lancaster, when he caught the ball, there were about five bombers on top of him. So he couldn't really get it too far into the end zone. Abenshan gets a second shot from 10, at that time, 10 yards closer, kicks it in, game over. And and that is exciting. I mean, it's a nuance that I remember teaching my daughters as, as we were watching CFL games. It's something that is uh, specific to the Riders, not Riders, pardon me, to CFL. And um, to me, it, it makes the game a little bit more exciting. So I, I would have to agree. I'm not in favor. Do you think this is coming out of the game last year, Don? The whole push on the, I believe it was BC in Toronto. It was a week four, July 6th. Is that right? Chris Rainey steps on the back of the end zone after Castillo kicks a ball that just sails a little bit wide left on the final play. Rainey actually catches the ball in the field of play but steps back to get going and that's why he steps out and gives up the single and everyone's going well how can you lose on a play like that tough (laughs) you know if you didn't want that to happen stop bc at midfield that's right and you need to know the rules as well he caught it in bounds so if the well he knew enough to catch it if he takes a step or two forward before he really tries to accelerate he has opportunity or 
he could he start punting it out it. again. He knew enough it couldn't stay there. Mm-hmm. So that tells me that he knows the rule well enough to get the ball out. And again, you've got 12 guys on the field, three or four plays before that have every opportunity to make sure that doesn't even come close to happening. Why are we so worried about something that happens once in, what, 20 years where a final play single wins a football game? Misplaced priorities. There was a tweet that you identified, I think it was by Gon Boatman, who tweeted that singles, his, his proposal for the change is kind of a happy medium here. He's proposing that singles can only be scored on punts or drop kicks when the ball goes through the back of the end zone. A place kick waves the right to that single point, but can still score the rouge if the returner concedes or is tackled before getting out of the end zone. I like the, the, the bygone Boatman tweet, which essentially means you can't use a place kick to drill the ball through the back of the end zone. Right. And that's a great hybrid. And then you know going in, okay, if I'm at the 20-yard line and if I miss the field goal, it's going right out the back door. If you don't know what a drop goal or a drop kick is, it's basically you snap the ball back, you bounce the ball on the ground, and as it's coming up, you kick it. Very difficult way to kick a field goal. Doug Flutie was the last person to succeed with this. That's right. He was. Yep. And that was in the NFL. But uh, it used to be an absolute feature of the Canadian game until place kicking replaced it. It brings the punting game. I mean, it doesn't, what, what, you do, what you're not going to do is line up on the 15-yard line and, and you're not likely to punt it from there. So it makes it, when the punter's close enough to potentially get it into the end zone where it can either go through or potentially be picked up in the end zone, then your cover team, it brings the, the skill of the players into the game. I like that compromise. If you don't want that to happen, Calgary showed you last year what you can do, and that's block the kick. And Hamilton loses in Calgary as a result. Don't tell me that the defense is disadvantaged in these situations. A, they're out there for a reason. B, do your job. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens on the 17th as we move forward and they take a look at the the innovation in the game. What will actually be decided on playoffs? Is the Rouge, now that the commissioners floated it, is this something that will also come to the Rural Committee? And what else could we see? I'm looking forward to that. I'm kind of looking forward to it with a little bit of dread. (laughs) I'd rather rule changes happen about what they were doing in the past few years, past interference interpretations and things like that. I don't want to see structural changes. And that's what's bothering me. We're trying to make this game what? True enough. I mean, structures have changed a little bit in the last little bit. If I'm thinking of structural change, the single point after the touchdown from the 32 or uh, the you know looking for a two-point conversion. True, that did happen. But again, you still had the option. It wasn't taken away from you. It just changed the, the, the quest, as it were, to get one or the other. I still think the two-point convert's way too close. I think it should be the five or the ten and really make it a tough dilemma for a coach. Do I want to try a convert from way back here or do I want to try a two-pointer? To me, they're trying to engender offense, but that's not the way to do it. So An extra point is not going to engender offense. I really do believe that you have to do more within the game if you want to engender more offense. All good points, Don. All these rules changes, the one thing that they do have in common is that if the ball doesn't go through the back of the end zone, in other words, it's playable, regardless if it's a field goal or a punt, the rouge is still in effect. You've still got to get the ball back out. It's just the 
the clarity they want is if the ball goes through the back of the end zone. But then here's my question. Do we have to have video replay to see if the ball touched the end line as it went out or touched in the field of play as it went out? It could get very complicated. And, and what happens on the sideline as well, Don? Precisely. Do you re- throw your hanky to review it? <laughs> are we are we angling for the sideline instead of the end line? I mean, that that's getting pretty specific and kind of silly. I do like the single point. I would hope that they don't change this rule, but I guess we'll see. You think in the NFL, when they miss a field goal and it goes through the end zone, what do they get? Bupkis. They punt it into the end zone. Bupkis. Why are we trying to mimic this? Like, let them have their game. We'll have ours. Thank Thank you you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. That's spelled at T-H-I-R-D-D-O-W-N-G-A-M-B-L-E. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio worth watching.